Our text tonight is um, Joshua 20. You can find that on page 194 and 195 of your pew Bibles. And as we continue to work through this second section of Joshua, it is the allotment of land. And so far it's been majority, you know, talking about which tribe is going to get what land or what person is going to get this area of land. And then we come to chapter 20 and it's, it's different. And um, it's about refuge cities. And refuge cities aren't something new. In fact, they're, they're mentioned three times in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, because the Lord has told Moses that when you get to the promised land, you need to establish refuge cities. And so this is the outworking of those commands of saying, you need to establish these cities where people may flee to. And so our study is going to be all about refuge cities tonight. So I'm, I'm excited, and, um, but let's get to our text. Jo- uh, Joshua chapter 20. This is the reading of God's holy and errant word. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give him up, the manslayer, into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is, the, who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Araba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland, from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, till he stood before the congregation. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go, let's return to him um, and ask for his blessing on this text tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you have given us this wonderful and rich text to explore tonight. And Father, I ask that you soften our hearts, uh, that we may see just how wonderful and thoughtful and merciful this, these nine verses are in your word. That, that exposes how merciful and just and wonderful that you are. Father, I ask that um, you calm my heart um, and that you make any, any words that might be confusing out of my mouth clear to this congregation. In Christ's name I pray, amen. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
These two verses are coming from the Genesis account of how God created man. He placed the literal life into Adam. It was personal, it was physical, it was tangible. Unlike the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea, which were spoken into existence, the Bible draws special attention to God creating man, forming him, creating him in, his, in God's image, a dignity given to no other part of creation. So how does this relate to the refuge cities? Well, you see, the, the text tonight highlights how much God values life. And we need to understand why God values man so much that he would set aside these cities in order to allow for people to flee. That he And so tonight... As we look at Joshua 20, we're going to be able to see how God values life and how he is just. And verse 3 provides a, a, a good lead-off point to answer the question of why do we need refuge cities. So read with me verse 3. That the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. And so before we get to the, those principles, I think we need to unpack kind of the legal side of this to, in order to put the flesh on the bones of what's being said here. And so the, to start off with, this is not for murderers. It seems very clear, but it needs to be said that this is not for people who intentionally killed someone else. In fact, Deuteronomy, the example given is, is quite interesting. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. And so the sentiment is clear. This is what we would call freak accidents. These are unintentional. And yet that doesn't limit how horrifying they are. They can leave us stunned and speechless. And I want to take a second to talk about these crazy accidents because it's on which these refuge cities are designed. It points out the fact that God understands there will be loss of lives that we don't understand. <clears throat> loss of life that someone sets out living their day, and they don't return. And so I want to take a moment just to talk about that for just a second. Because you all interact with people on a daily basis that has had, they've had a direct contact with, you've had a direct contact with them, and sometimes we don't know what to say. We look for a ways to comfort, and what comes out of our mouth isn't what we mean to say. It's something along the lines of, well, God didn't really have a hand in this. Like, he wouldn't really have let this happen. God wasn't part of this. And on the surface, we understand what we're trying to say. We're trying to separate God who is loving and merciful from what we can't explain. And yet, at the same time, this is potentially one of the most hurtful things that we can do because it erodes 
how that person is going to view God. That he's not sovereign. That he wasn't there when their loved one passed away. I went back and forth on whether or not to include this part because the Westminster Confession of Faith can be sometimes hard to follow when you're not reading it. And so I'm going to read just the first part of chapter 5, which is on God's providence. And, it's, and I want it to just soak in. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Our God is big. He holds in tension the entire universe, while also knowing our thoughts and fears, and he sees our, our tears. He, he is there and present with us. This is what we need to be sharing with our friends and families who are going through these valleys of despair. When these freak accidents happen and we want to excuse God, we need to rest on the fact that God is sovereign, that he is going to work these deaths for his, for his good and for our good. God knows that Life will be lost in this fallen world that won't make sense to us. And so in this text in Joshua 20, he installs this procedure for the Israelites to follow for these refuge cities. Because again, I want, it's too easy to read these nine verses and not see the flesh and blood of this happening. A neighbor goes out with a neighbor to chop wood, and he kills his neighbor. He's now filled with the guilt and the shame and the just shock of what has happened. But then on, to layer onto that, we see something that is even more, adds even more to the pile. A phrase called the avenger of blood. And the Avenger of Blood is, is not some Marvel villain. It's, it's actually potentially the hardest part of this. This is now the person that is, needs to carry out the capital punishment upon this manslayer. It was supposed to be the nearest male relative. So think your father, son, brother, uncle. And they were legally required to restore justice to the family and the land by pursuing this person and killing them. That was the law. And that's why they were refuge cities. So you can imagine how terrible of a scene and sequence this would have been knowing that you killed an innocent person and now their family is out to get you. And so you rush to the city for refuge and the elders hear your case and they, they deem it le legitimate and there's a full trial and verse 9 provides a, a summary of this entire process. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel 
and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. So that's quite a build-up to my principles. of, But again, it can be so easy to just read these verses and not see the actual human lives and the stories that would have been unfolding before us. And so our first principle tonight is that God values all life. God values all life. I've stated this earlier, but all humans were created by God, and he has known all of us since before time itself. Knitted together in our mother's wombs and created with intention and purpose in this life. No one is a throwaway. No one is left behind. No one is just scraps. No one is inherently less valuable in the eyes of God. Every life matters. And I want you to sink in because, again, the same way that if you don't understand the purpose of the refuge cities, that you don't see later on down the line. Because if you don't see why and how much God values life, then you don't understand why he cares about death so much. And so, look around. I mean, really, look left and right. Look around. There's people all around you, and their lives matter. And then think about your daily commute, the grocery store, work, your neighbors, the people that you just cross paths with. Their lives matter. And then I want you to think about all the people that you don't see. The unborn children, the people on the fringes of our society, the disabled, the homeless, the prisoners, the orphans, the starving, the abandoned elderly, people suffering from addictions, they all are valuable too, no less than you and me or the President of the United States. The lens in which we see people is often so quickly warped. Even from an early age, it, it, it starts to, what can you do for me? What do you bring to the table? On the, on the playroom you know, recess, are you fast? Are you good at tag? Are you smart? It's all about what you can do. That is how you're valuable. But that's not how God sees life. All lives are valuable. And how can we see that God values all life in this text? First, by implementing a law that demands justice for the taking of a life, intentional or not. If God did not value life, then there would be no consequences. It's like the, the difference between stealing and taking a free sample. If you steal something, there's value on that item. A free sample doesn't matter. You could take a hundred and then throw them away. There's value on life. The second way we can see that God values life is that he instituted these refuge cities for those who did not intentionally take someone's life. So it's the inverse of that. By not demanding the life of the person, God is demonstrating how valuable life is. 
Because think about how easy, how much easier a legal system would be if no matter what, if you kill someone, you die. Murder, you die. Negligence, you die. An accident, you also die. But that's not what we have here. Because God values life so much that he sets up a system in order for them to flee to find refuge. God values life. Additionally, did you notice who is eligible for this provision? I think a lot of us just read it and it's like, oh, well, this is just for the Israelites. But it's not. It's for all people. It's for the sojourners in the land, the slaves, the aliens, the people that in the eyes of the nation would have less value. It was eligible for all people. So then this forces us to ask the question, do we value life? On the surface, we would all say yes, but I want to just think about it. I want you to think about it throughout your week. Do I value the many lives before me, or am I just indifferent? We see all throughout Christ's Christ's ministry, he is going to the weak, the disabled, the dead, and his miracles are doing what? They are restoring life, pointing to something greater, an eternal life. All but one miracle fits that category. Our God is a God of life, and he values all lives. So are you going to pray the, pray the bold prayer and ask that God softens your hearts to see all lives precious and valuable? Our second principle tonight is God demands justice. Because even though he still, even though he values life, he still demands justice. It's not, well, that's all right. You didn't mean to, so we'll just, we won't count it. He still demands justice. It's from this point that we must examine the role of the high priest in this entire process. Verse 6 of our text says, The offender was to stay in the refuge city until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Now this is, this is in my mind, really, really interesting. Because if you look at the entire Old Testament law, the entire Old Testament law. This is the only instance where the blood guilt of someone is passed to an innocent party, to someone else, on the, which rests on them until they die. Even just a, a cursory reading of the law, and you'll see that the guilty party always must atone for what they did. Even if it's just a, a small sin, they were to, required to go to the temple and have a sacrifice. Or even, like I've mentioned, the murderers, you were to pay with your own life. But not this time. Now some commentators view this passage as a sort of statue of limitations that, well, when the high priest dies, then that would have been enough time that you can then return to your family. But I don't think that equates to what we know about God and his justice or his value on life. 
This approach seems to be missing the mark of God's justice when it comes to shedding of blood and the loss of human life. Because again, I want to reiterate, this is the only instance in the Old Testament law that the pardoning or cleansing of guilt is tied to the death of another person. Ambrose points this out that, you know, the high priest could have died the next day following the unintentional death. And he draws the point to a close as he points out it's not the duration of time the person spends in exile in the city of refuge, but the fact that blood was repaid. God is a God of justice, and life is sacred to him. To further flesh this out, I want us to flip over to Numbers um, 35. Numbers 35, verses 32 through 34. It says, And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. And so these verses are filled with commands of what to do and not do. Even the, they even you know, answer the question of, well, can I pay for this person to come home? And they say no. And they reiterate the fact that blood pollutes the land. And this is a weird image for us because we're not earthy people. We're not the, the Israelites their entire life centered around the land. And like an oil slick over the ocean, God is saying, blood pollutes the land. And the only thing to satisfy this pollution is the blood of the guilty. But again, that's not what we see in here. We see the death of the high priest is what allows the man to return home. The death of the high priest satisfies the guilt of another. And so that's the beauty of the Old Testament law. Is that everything ultimately points to the ultimate sacrifice. And so I'm not willing to say that this is a direct correlation to Christ and it's a perfectly clear. But I am saying it is at least a glimmer. And at least a little whisper of saying this is what's coming. And that's what I want to end tonight on, is that our refuge ultimately is in our high priest. Our refuge is in a high priest who gives us safety and security far greater than what we see in this passage. And I want to end by comparing them. Instead of fleeing our home, when we are in Christ, he says, welcome home. Instead of having to leave our family and everything, we get riches beyond all measure and a family like no other. And instead of living in guilt and shame, because I can't imagine the feelings of accidentally killing someone. I mean, that would... That, that would keep me up every night. 
that guilt, that shame. And yet, when we are in Christ, true refuge, we are free of all guilt. And that is beautiful. There was a, another interesting part of the, the refuge cities. The last part, uh, verses 7 and 8, they, they list out where they are. And to us, not being good at geography all the time, it's just, okay, these cities are you know, where they are. But they are specific cities in terms of their distance from each other and where they're located in the in the promised land. They were to be equal distance from each other, and so that no matter where you lived, you were never too far away from these cities. It's kind of like an airplane exit. Like, you know, you always have an exit not too, close, or not too far away. And so that's the last connection. And so instead of a contrast, these refuge cities are like Christ in that he is never too far away. I don't know the guilt, the shame, the sins that you may be carrying. But Christ is your true refuge. Christ has provided a way through his life, death, and resurrection that we are clean before God Almighty. That we are washed anew by him. And that we are sound and secure in the foundation and the truth that he provides. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are our refuge. When the winds and the rains of this life assail us, we are able to hide in your cleft. We are able to find protection from those that may assail us. Father, you have given us your word so that we may hide it in our hearts so that we may know truth. So that though we are on, in this life and there is uncertainty, we know without a shadow of a doubt that your word is true and leads to life, leads to refuge. In Christ's name I pray, amen.